Welcome to the Teach the Geek podcast, where engineer and author Neil Thompson talks with STEM professionals about public speaking, a struggle for many of us. Whether you're a novice public speaker or a proficient one, you can always pick up tips on how to improve. Here's your host, Neil Thompson. Welcome to another edition of Teach the Geek interviews. My name is Neil Thompson. I'm the founder of Teach the Geek. It's an online platform for science and engineering professionals. Consider checking out the Teach the Geek to Speak Society. It's a monthly membership where you can get ongoing support in your public speaking journey. You can learn more about it at teachthegeek.com. Again, that is teachthegeek.com. Today, my guest is Dr. Nicole Chirska. For years, she worked in consumer goods innovation and product research, but eventually went off on her own, working with STEM experts and R&D teams to navigate corporate life. I even, heard that, I even heard that she was once a DJ. I'm really interested to learn more about this life as a DJ, her work in corporate, and her transition to self-employment. Welcome to Teach the Geek Interviews, Dr. Chirska. Hi, thanks for having me here. So from the bit of research I did on you, I saw that you studied chemistry. Where did that interest in chemistry come from? Yeah, to be honest, um, I was always in, I always had a knack for science. My mother is a lab assistant. So there's kind of a closeness to the subject there. And it was always going to be something in the natural sciences, biochemistry, for example, or pharmacy. But um, I got accepted into food chemistry. So it was, I really liked the very everyday applicational aspect of food chemistry because it's, you know, it's like during the, well, at university, when, when you were doing experiments in the lab, you had to analyze, I don't know, it's like just sweets or, or fruit and so on. And it's just, it's just so cool because you get to have very drilled down insights and understandings of things that we so much take for granted just as normal users. Okay. I had a guest. So you did your, your schooling in Germany, right? Mm-hmm. So I had a, a previous guest who did her schooling in Greece. So I know it's another EU country. So I'm kind of curious to see if the if there's similarities. She said that you have to take this exam and then based on the exam, that determines what you can study at university. Is that the same? Is that how it works in Germany as well? It depends on the subject. <clears throat> so um, it's uh, what they call a numerus clausus. So that means some subjects, because they're in such high demands, but there's only limited spots because there's only so much, there are only so many students, the faculty can, um, yeah, basically serve at any given time. And uh, that numerous clauses is different depending on uh, the cities or the universities and and the subject. And then there are other subjects that don't have any uh, so, for, for example, normal uh, or regular chemistry uh, didn't have any. So, anyone with any um, abitur, so um, high school, I don't know what is the equivalent, <laughs> finished school <laughs> at the appropriate level, um, could study chemistry. But for food chemistry and biochemistry and so on, you had to have a certain um, level okay. of grades. Gotcha. I remember when she was telling me this. 
because she was saying that she studied what she ended up studying because she couldn't study what she originally wanted to study because she didn't get a high enough grade or, or I guess, yeah, a high enough grade on this exam. It's similar for me. And it's funny how the universe works in that way because I and I seem to have ended up exactly where I have to be. But <laughs> yes, that was one of the of the nudges that uh, the universe gave me. Yeah, yeah man. When I, remember, when I remember when she initially told me that, I was just like, so you ended up where you ended up simply because of a one test and a, and a grade on that on that particular test, and she's like, "Yeah," I was like, "Man, that sucks," <laughs> but but at least hey, if it works out, then 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 hey, yeah. what's what's the problem? But then I and then I I saw eventually that you got a PhD in chemistry too. So what was the motivation to go for the PhD? Um, so I was so in in food chemistry to finish your or to get your diploma, you had to you know study and uh, take the tests and the exams, and then uh, you still had to write a diploma thesis, which was about six to nine months of research work, and then you had to write that up. And uh, I could do the, my diploma thesis in the industry, in the cosmetics industry, um, at a company in the lab. And at the end of my diploma thesis, so it was a really nice um, package that we had there, but at the end of it, um, there was, I mean, we know, we knew we just scratched the surface. So I got along very well with the team. Um, I had a great boss there. The researching the subject further was of great interest to the company. And so they, um, they said, okay, we have a PhD position for you here. And I was just so into the subject that I continued and stayed there for my PhD, uh, diving even deeper into the topic. Yeah. Oh, okay. So you did your PhD while working? No, I, no, at a company, but I was hired as a PhD student. So for them, it, it was an explorative project and I could, I got paid not, I mean, much less than a normal employee, but still I got paid very well, but I could focus all of my time there and I had all the resources available to dedicate to my research. Okay, that's actually kind of cool because yeah. what you're working on kind of has this uh, industrial significance to it, as opposed to, I guess, even in this country, most people that I think that do PhDs, they do it at universities, they do it in these labs that oftentimes are pretty much removed from any industrial application. And you, it's difficult to, at least in the STEM fields, and it's difficult to see how what you're working on could be of any use to anybody at some point. But it's, I think it's really cool the way that you did it. From, from when you finished your, I guess your, 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 well, I guess your high school education to the end of your PhD, how long was that? So I studied for about five years and had another three years of PhD research. So about eight years. Eight years. Okay. I see. All right. It, yeah, I can get, it can get that long here in this country too. Four years and sometimes yeah, another four years of PhD. So that, that seems pretty standard. So then you finish your, you finish this PhD. You're now, you now are working in industry. I'm, I'm guessing what kind of work did you do when you worked in industry? Yeah, I um, worked in the consumer goods innovation. So again, very much on the application side, um, developing new products, um, like little food, food products, um, looking for great textures and um, great flavors, bringing them to market. Oh, wow. Did that industry that you work in, was that something that you had planned on doing or was it something you fell into? 
So I fell into consumer goods innovation because, you know, of, because of where, where I did my PhD, that was a consumer goods company uh, for cosmetics. And that was where I was introduced to that of being, of it being so uh, exciting really at the intersection of knowing what technology and science can bring versus what people really need and want. And then how can we make, make things, you know, to, to put on a shelf uh, that um, somebody would want to buy. And that I've just, plus it's, it's a very creative area. So it uh, plays into my strengths and my personality structure. I can be very orderly and organized. I mean, I, I actually am, but just executing on an order that is established just bores me quite quickly. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so being in this uh, innovation space where I could just dabble around, um, figure out um, how to solve problems, come up with new ideas that suited me very much. Yeah, I, I got you there. I worked in medical devices as a product development engineer. And what I really liked about it was the was the was the ability to to try new things as opposed mm -hmm. to doing the same thing all, all all the time. I had a guest that was well, she worked in civil engineering or, or I guess water resource control engineering. And I didn't even know what that meant before I spoke to her, but she explained it to me. But then she also said that a lot of her job requires a lot of quality work. And I just remembered the quality engineers that I worked with when I worked in medical devices. And I just thought to myself, if your quality is the same as their quality, that sounds absolutely dreadful. That's one of the most boring jobs. I just, wow. I can't even just thinking about it. Just the people that do it, you, you have to like that structure. You have to, basically you're, you're, you're the, you're the, you're the person that says no a lot <laughs> when you're quality engineer. <laughs> so you can't do that. No, that can't, you can't release that. No, no, no. It's just, ugh. Just the, just the thought of it just bores me to tears. But I'm glad that there are people out there that, that do that job. But and then there's people like us that innovate things. So then yeah. you eventually you you leave this you leave corporate Germany, I guess. Or I, I was going to say corporate America, but you're not in America, so that wouldn't make much sense. But you leave the corporate environment to then become, you know, to go off on your own. What was the motivation for you to do that? Mm, well, it's only half true. I, I'm still part time employed. Um, but doing, doing change management for big business transformation projects. Okay. Um, but basically, the, the, again, the, the nudge or the, the change into those people side of things um, kind of work came from a restructuring within the company, from me ending up in a job where I just wasn't a good fit, being bored out and looking for new challenges. And that was when I started First coaching training when that and when that was finished I um, started to build my own practice uh, on the side and so now I have like both avenues so I still work uh, in corporate there's many reasons for that it's still fun for one thing I'm still learning I'm still growing which is really great plus I get to do the things that I really like doing um, and at the same time, um, serving clients that come through my, my own practice. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Okay. So you said that the work that you do part-time in corporate has to do with change management. Mm -hmm. So the, that, that, so the, there's a, a question there. So you started off in, in product innovation and you ended up in, in change management. How, how'd you end up making that transition? 
Yeah, yeah. Like I said, there was this restructuring once and I ended up in a position where for about one and a half years, I had only, I worked only at 10% of my capacity. And that sounds initially, it sounds great. And maybe for two weeks, it is fun getting, you know, full pay for, I don't know, it's like just seeing how fast you can spin on your chair. I don't know, <laughs> playing bubble shooter. Wow. But very soon, I like working. I like being busy. I like uh, learning new things. I like getting things done and so on. And uh, so that quickly became very, very energy, energy draining for me. And um, uh, it, was a, it was a hole I didn't know how to get out of because I know I spoke to my then boss multiple times. He always asked me to be patient and to wait because it was just a the climate at the time and the company thinks would move any faster and so on. And um, I mean, but over time as the, you know, as it was a year, as it was almost one and a half years, this started to reach my personal life. I was exhausted when I came home just from managing my own feelings at work, you know? Oh, wow. I was like, exhausted from what? You said yeah. you're working 10% capacity, but yeah, I guess managing your feelings. I know, I know. It's like, and anyone, but you know, since then, I have been on a quite a few podcasts in 2021 and I have met a number of podcast hosts who said, man, actually I experienced that too. And it is no fun. So having way too much to do that you burn out, not good, but having way too little to do so that you bore out, not good either. And um, yeah, so I said, okay, something's got to give here. And I sought a coach to help me and within four sessions he had me you know it's like getting my energy back he had me um trying new things pursuing new avenues to uh, find a way out of my situation and i was just so amazed and i was like how did he do that i want to be able to do that too for people and um that's when i started coaching training and when i got into this whole people topic thing and it's kind of like my Mm, I don't know, starting over with a second uh, fulfilling profession. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like I love science. I love the innovation bit. I might go back there one day to work in it. It is, it is so cool to make a product and then see it at the shelf some, at some point. But what I'm doing now is just equally fulfilling and fun and um and the company was, I mean, I, I was, I shouldn't say lucky enough. I mean, I guess the stars aligned, you know, it's like there was, there was a need from a company side. I had a good reputation and I, I had this newfound passion. And so um, I could basically make this complete 180 degree switch into doing change management there. Okay. Got you. Yeah. Well, you know what? You're, you're absolutely right. When it comes to, to work, too much or, or anything, too much or too little of anything is never good. So, yeah, you're, you're, people often talk about the, you know, burning out, you know, having too much work. You very rarely hear about, you know, I was bored out of my mind, 10% per, 10% capacity, just sitting around twiddling my thumbs trying to figure out what I'm going to do with myself. But, yeah, yeah that, that, that certainly can be a bit nerve wracking, too. Absolutely. So then you, so you have this other, basically, this other avenue that you mentioned that you're working with people. So what kind of, of work do you do with these people? What kind of outcomes can they get from working with you? Mm. So 
what I'm really interested in is helping people, um, especially R&D teams and uh, tech teams, because that's kind of like where I'm coming from. I can relate to them uh, a lot, uh, is help them to do their best work. Not in the technical aspects, because they got that down, uh, but when, more when it comes to... Um, for example, building remarkable partnerships uh, in their companies so that they have better collaboration, that they are taken more seriously, that they, um, you know, become a come become recognized and valued experts also by other departments and don't feel like they live in a in a parallel universe inside the business and uh, aren't really part of the um, big decisions. Or then other things, you know, like how can we re-engineer our work life so that it's less stressful and more motivating? Uh, and again, it's, you know, when we feel better at work, we do better at work. And this is really, these are just, you know, two aspects that I'm really passionate about. Okay, I got you. Essentially, you're working with people so they don't end up like you. So just, I mean, working at these, comp working at a company, 10% for capacity, not being all that happy about it, trying to figure out what they, what, what they want to do next. And hopefully they get to stay wherever they're at and build those great par partnerships with people, as opposed to just sitting there and just being disgruntled mm. in their cubicle. Yeah, that's great work. You know, when you talk about that, it reminds me of another guest that I had on early on. She must've been one of my first five guests. And her name was April Wenzel. She had a company, she has a company called Compassionate Coding. And she works mm -hmm. mostly with software engineers on them becoming more compassionate because apparently they're 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 not the best at it. Have you ever heard the, the acronym RTFM? So you know you know what it stands for? No. Read the F in manual. So <laughs> That's something that they oftentimes would tell other people if, if they came up and asked them a question. <laughs> you know what? You know what? It's like, but there is, I mean, I can totally empathize with them because people get so lazy and it's, it's a... It's a real, I'm not going to say a problem, but actually, yes, it, turn, it, it turns into a problem. So those change management um, things that I work on, you know, where we're bringing new processes, new tools, and we teach people how to use them, all of this. And obviously there's, you know, whenever you implement something, there is going to be uh, a certain period of where you stay close to people, do on-the-job coaching, all of these kind of things. But eventually the project team gets disbanded and, you know, we have to get back to business as usual somehow. And yet it is sometimes very, very hard to get people to, I mean, the project team often spends hours creating manuals and descriptions and recording training videos and so on. And sometimes I'm so puzzled that why, you know, everybody knows how to Google for life hacks. And when something doesn't work at home, it's like we're Googling, have, watching a YouTube video, read an instruction, and we're doing it. People often don't think about doing this in the workplace. But every time they now come to ask like other colleagues who might know, instead of looking, up, looking it up first. So first of all, you don't, you, don't, you don't accelerate your own learning. And second of all, it's like you're still stealing other people's times. So if explaining it once, explaining it twice, no problem. But at some point, I'm totally with the people. Read the effing manual. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. 
wow, that's wonderful. <laughs> you would have made an excellent software engineer then. <laughs> <laughs> you would have fit in just great. <laughs> you know, I, you know, Doctor Doctor Cheska. I also mentioned in the in the intro that you worked uh, that you did that you you did you DJ for for a bit. So tell me a bit a bit about that. What kind of music did you DJ? Yeah, that was a bit of a pastime on weekends uh, here in some um, Hamburg punk rock bars. So I would use, I, I used to then uh, pack my records. So it's vinyl records. So it was heavy, heavy suitcases <laughs> to wow. carry around. And then it's like, I mean, this is like seven or eight years ago, but at the time I, I would, I would DJ at three bars over a month. Um, yeah, here in Hamburg, and it's it's you know it's not like a huge huge club or anything, but it was really it's it, it was smaller bars where people would just come and have a beer, and um, I'd be playing some music in the background. But yeah, that was okay. really fun. cool. You know, I've always wanted to be a DJ myself. It's been a and but I've never done anything to actually make it happen. So I'm not even sure why I should even say it. You know, I'm a big fan of whenever it, it, it's something that I want to do, I put it out there, then I actually do it. But I've never done anything to actually move towards being a DJ, as a, with the exception of just telling myself in my body that's something I want to do. But it, it's something I, it's something I want to do. But I just I gotta I gotta actually get on it. But once I'm done these other things. <laughs> so you know, based on the work that you've done, and you know, I I talk to the every guest that I talk to, I'm always interested in their take on, on presenting in front of people. The whole goal or the, the, the motivation for me even starting Teach the Geek had to be, well, it was my struggles giving presentations in front of management. And I was terrible at it. And I noticed a lot of the other engineers that I worked with, they weren't all that much better at it than I was, but I got a lot better at it because I didn't want to look like a fool every time I had to give a presentation in front of management. So when it comes to public speaking is that something that you've always been good at and if not what'd you do to get better at it I did it <laughs> so I guess that's a similar experience for you of course that you know um at university there were there was one or the other occasion where we had to present because you know the professors knew we would have to present in our work life and so that is something that we practiced but then I guess because I did my diploma thesis and my PhD in the industry, I had to present regularly in team meetings, in departmental meetings, at different levels of management. I still had, let's call it puppy protection, you know, because I was very young. I was a PhD student, so nobody was too hard on me. Or And then also I didn't have to present on anything like super business critical. So there were also, you know, that's a whole different kind of pressure that you have there when you running a multi-million dollar program and you have to give status updates on that. So different types of presenting, different types of pressure, but doing it often and often and often seeing what works, seeing what questions are coming from the audience, you know? So first of all, am I rambling on and losing them because, you know, you see their eyes glaze over. Um, are they asking questions out of curiosity or out of confusion? And then obviously asking for feedback, you know, because there would always be my boss or a co-worker in the presentation. And then when you sit down afterwards with them or even, 
even when you're um, creating and structuring the presentation, already sitting down with someone else and saying, hey, I was thinking about this in this structure. Does it make sense to you? Can you see where I'm going with this? What is confusing? These kind of things. And just, yeah, doing it as often as you, as you can. But you are so right. It's an invaluable skill to build. And um, whether you have slides or not, you're always presenting and want to be convincing in some kind of way. So it's really important to, to build that skill. Yeah, I mean, when you mentioned rambling, that's something I definitely cannot relate to. I always try to be as succinct as possible, even when I wasn't the best at, at, at public speaking. But that part about people asking questions out of confusion, oh, that I checked that box immediately. <laughs> Especially when I first started giving those presentations, I thought I had answered questions. I, I truly thought I had answered the questions during the presentation, but then I'm getting these questions afterwards. And I'm thinking, didn't I answer that in the damn presentation? Why am I getting this question now? But it just turns out that I wasn't putting it in such a way that the people could understand. I mean, mm -hmm. it's so difficult sometimes for people with this technical expertise to put things in such a way that non-technical people can understand. And we just, a lot of us just don't really take that into account when we put our presentations together. So then you end up like me sweating a whole lot because you think you, you're answering questions that you thought you would answer during the presentation. It's just, it's just, a, it's yeah. A and you're getting angry at the other person when really you have to. <laughs> yourself, right? <laughs> no yes, yes, exactly. I'm getting mad at the CEO. It's like, what kind of stupid question is that? I answered that 10 minutes of this damn presentation. Come on, man, <laughs> keep up. <laughs> you're absolutely right. So when it comes to the, the presentations that you give, do you, do you ever get nervous before giving a presentation? And if so, how do you deal with your nerves? I do get nervous when it's a really big audience. Um, and when, yes, the, when, when, when there's top level management involved. So, uh, and when I have the feeling I have to carry all the weight. So sometimes there are presentations where, um, you know you have proper time allotted and you share the presentation with others because everybody contributes their own part that they deliver in the project. So that is fine for me. But sometimes um, in the corporate world, you are, you are given the opportunity to get visible. And as nice as that, as that is, you know, it's like and very considerate and thank you for giving me uh, the chance to speak in front of you know, people who are two, three levels above me. But for them, it's the same thing. Uh, you know, this is not something that's actually interesting to us, but it's here we just need to see, you know, the next talent and give someone visibility. And so that then often means that everything else already runs over beforehand. That means you sit outside the room or wherever you are at home, waiting for 45 minutes, you know, over your actual, you know, or planned start time. And then you start your presentation and everybody's already annoyed because everything is late. And then oh, I once had this presentation for, um, in front of, a, it actually happened to me multiple times where you have to present in front of a member of the board or I don't know, the CEO comes to visit or whatever. And it's like, everything is so, you know, on a tight schedule. Right. And they never plan for margin, never, ever. <laughs> and so by the time it's my turn, they're already late. They're already impatient. And I only said my first sentence and the, you know, one of the managers says, goes like this and says, you know, it's like, hurry up. And it's like, I'm sorry. It's like, I, I didn't even start yet. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> that is something 
where I sweat a lot. You know, it's like <laughs> I I know I know I have been given ten minutes. I prepared for five minutes because I know something will be up, and then I don't even get that full full uh, full time. So that is stressful, and that is also not fun for me. So, but you know, even you know, if it's uh, with coworkers, uh, no matter how many different people or functions, um, and when we're when we're really there to discuss the work or to learn something new, then that's just fun for me, and um, I enjoy doing that. Yeah, the second job that I had where I had to give those presentations in front of management, it was an all day affair. So basically everyone who was leading a project had to get up in front of management and and talk about project status updates. And there was, you know, lots of projects. So basically the management had to sit there all day and just listen to these these engineers get up (laughs) one after one. They get a lunch break. I think, yeah, I remember there was a lunch break, but that's one after one, get up there and talk about project progress. And yeah, absolutely, it would run off the rails. People would oftentimes would go over, so then the next person wouldn't necessarily have as much time as the last person. And it's just, yeah, you you would get those eyes glazing over, people looking at their phones, people, you know, staring off into space. <laughs> yeah, I'm just looking at this, just thinking, oh man, I have to do this again next month. <laughs> well, you know, Dr. Chiska, this has been really great talking to you. Thank you. For, for being a guest, how can people get in touch with you? Yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn and uh, on, on my website. So I'm sure we can put the links somewhere because my name is impossible to spell. Um, <laughs> yeah, and just get in touch. Excellent. Well, everybody, that marks the end of another edition of Teach the Geek interviews. My name is Neil Thompson, founder of Teach the Geek. It's an online platform for science and engineering professionals. Consider checking out the Teach the Geek to Speak Society. It's a monthly membership that you can get help with your public speaking journey with. And you can learn about that at teachthegeek.com. Again, that's teachthegeek.com. Until next time, take care and stay safe. Thanks, Dr. Cheska. Thank you. Well, everyone, that marks another episode in the can. I hope you enjoyed it. If you like these episodes and want to support Teach the Geek, please subscribe, share, and like on any of your favorite podcast platforms on all of them also if you prefer to watch the episodes head on over to the youtube channel at youtube.teachthegeek.com until next time